The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Hello and welcome to Baseball Barbacast, the only podcast in the world that needs a historic turnaround to even be mildly relevant. I'm Jake Mintz, that's Jordan Schusterman, and like many other people in this world, we are mad about the White Sox. Yes, and ultimately striving for mediocrity in the process. Jake Mintz, we will have to begin with the White Sox of Chicago on this year episode of Baseball Barbacast. Plenty of other stuff to get to. We'll finally talk about the Brian Reynolds extension, Tatis dancing in the outfield. Uh, We got, of course, Good, Bad, Ugla, which will cover a range of topics as well as a number of promotions and demotions that caught our attention before we look at the weekend ahead. But Jake, as I sit here in my Tyler Saladino jersey, of which uh, I is, is you know a past era of White Sox success, I sit here with the seven and eighteen White Sox, and I think, how did this all go so seven and nineteen? How did this all go so terribly wrong on an L eight and uh, creating uh, inspiring some all-time sports talk radio moments, which we will, of course, acknowledge uh, very soon. Tyler Saladino is six L's short of where the White Sox are right now. It has been an absolute, unmitigated catastrophe early on this season. There are only two hitters, two regular hitters with an OPS plus over 100 who have been better than league average. That is Yasmani Grandal and Jake Berger. There are a lot of players who have just straight up sucked. There are a lot of players who have been very hurt, as is frequently the case with this Chicago team. The rotation has underwhelmed. And it is worse than your typical bad team, I think, because it is the end, potentially, of an era. And it is the proof that something has not worked. It is evidence that dreams have been dashed, that hope has been quashed, and that the potential for greatness will never truly actualize. I need to call you out on something a little bit here, Jake, because I believe it was a week or two ago when you wrote about the worst teams in baseball and White Sox fans were responding to you and being like, oh my God, what about the White Sox? And you were like, chill, White Sox fans. You don't even know what it's like. And I was mostly on your side, but I think the point that you just made is more accurate because the bad teams, most of the bad teams, and this is what I wrote at Fox uh, this week in my weekly column is like, listen, 
When you have a bad team, most of the time you go into the season, you say, that team's bad. You know what you're getting in for. If you're going to tune in to watch, you know they're going to be bad and so be it. Sure. You could look at the AL Central and say, and I know you were not super optimistic about the White Sox, but we had them kind of in their own tier in the middle where it's like, this could go bad, this could go good, whatever. (laughs) But we didn't look at the roster and think it was one of the worst teams in the league. My sense is that White Sox fans were actually almost more prepared for this than we were, which is kind of an amazing thing to watch. And now it has it has sparked, as we have already alluded to once, uh, an all time rant, which we have to give credit for. But do you want to respond for for a second here, there? Because I felt like that was important to say. Because I think you've also said it on this here podcast. You're right. This team sucks. I was wrong. This team freaking blows. Um, I mean, there's still tons of time to turn it around, but I think that the consternation right now is totally legitimate. This is a great time to pull out your hair and overreact. I'm all in. Mm-hmm. White Sox fans get angry. There are really two types of irrational fan bases, Jordan, on either end of the spectrum of of reality, like the too optimistic and the too pessimistic. And I feel like White Sox fans right now are pessimistic. I thought they were being too pessimistic. Turns out I was being too optimistic. Okay, this team is really, truly a disaster. And there's just a lifelessness with which they have been playing baseball. They have been blown out into smithereens in their last three games just deep in the red on the run differential side of things. And if I'm a Sox fan, like, gee whiz, am I, you know, making summer plans. <laughs> and so, yeah, let alone fall plans. You're making you're making summer plans. That's for sure. Uh, now, of course, what caught a lot of people's attention was an incredible uh, call in to uh, ESPN uh, 1000's uh, Waddle and Sylvie show on Wednesday. And this was after they got shut out by the the. Blue Jays, okay, to extend their scoreless inning streak before they gave up nine runs, lost by nine runs at home last night. And this seven-minute rant by a gentleman named Rob Coletti, who called in referring to himself as Birdo from the West Side, was an all-time performance. And people, one of the the main responses, I think, feedback that people gave to this this Sports Talk Radio rant, because when you see a clip going around on Twitter that says, oh my God, listen to this caller. I'm expecting to listen to someone that is very angry and almost belligerent. And that is why it is entertaining. That is most interesting sports radio calls is that belligerence combined with anger, combined with passion, combined with often stupidity can create for very entertaining sports radio calls. That is not what this is. That is very much not what this is. And I'm very glad that John Greenberg uh, interviewed Berto from the West Side for the athletics so I could find out more about this, this gentleman who who gave this amazing performance because it makes a lot more sense because Rob Coletti is an actor. Rob Coletti is a real White Sox fan and everything that he said was true, but this is a guy who is experienced in the art of performance and delivering lines, delivering monologues. And I don't know whether he wrote this out or not, but every line of this cuts deeper. There's as many people have pointed out, there's no ums, there's no likes, there's no, it is just seven minutes of straight passion and just point after point after point. I mean, blow after blow. He's hitting history. He's hitting what's happening now. He's referencing both, you know, WRC plus and, you know, traditional stats. It was immaculate. And it was so hinged. That's what I loved about it, is that everything said during that rant is completely reasonable and rational. And he starts the rant off by saying how he's given this team the benefit of the doubt and given them the benefit of the doubt for too long, right? 
And then he launches into the tirade, and it is just absolutely spectacular. And you have the other part? thing, the other thing for part. me is that he yeah. doesn't curse. Yes. Like I, the way that he does the rant, a lot of these rants you expect someone to curse, or you think they're gonna. He doesn't even come close to cursing at all. Uh, do I have a favorite part? Yeah, it's what I started with uh, for the show. At this point, this team would need a historic turnaround to even be mildly relevant. It's just so. Mm. Yeah, there's a lot of unbelievable lines. Um, I, I, I mean, the Jake Berger really hits. And by the way, shout out Jake Berger. He's been great. Right? <laughs> I feel like that that's a great, a great example of like, I'm sure Ram Kaledi appreciates uh, Jake Berger's contributions, but he should not be the best hitter on the team. And I think Jake Berger probably even knows that. <laughs> and so that part is amazing. And I think my favorite part is when he says, we have had a bottom 10 farm system for 45 years. <laughs> that one kills me, right? I mean, farm system rankings, maybe they go back uh, almost that far. Of course, Baseball America has been doing it for a long time. But I think that's a good transition into the bigger picture here, right? Because what you kind of laid out is the fact that, yes, this team sucks right now. Their performance so far through 26 games has been abysmal. 662 team OPS. An e a team ERA that is worse than every team that is not the Oakland Athletics. It has been horrendous. But we have to zoom out a little bit more here because any team is capable of underperforming. Clearly, what Burrow from the West Side is getting at here and what they are frustrated with and which what I think is where White Sox fans are really kind of being pushed over the edge here is not just the fact that this team is underwhelming. It's the fact that they have been watching the same front office try and put this together and try and promise a, a team that is heading towards great things for a long time. And when you realize that Rick Hahn is the third longest tenured general manager in Major League Baseball, <laughs> and you also realize that the White Sox postseason success to this point consists of what two under that tenure, two appearances, one of which was in COVID when they got embarrassed by the A's, and then the other which was the next year when the Astros, you know, kicked their ass. And you think, wow, like this has been the same group along with Kenny Williams, who's been there even longer. And you think, oh, when you think about organizations that are not willing to change, that are not going to get better, and you think about the organizations that are in a bad place because of a combination of front office and ownership, it's a shorter list than you think. And the White Sox have to be on that list now. And maybe we were, you know, naive to not point that out five years ago or even two years ago. But here we are. And I understand that maybe they're not this bad, but there are a lot of problems with kind of the, the infrastructure of this organization. And it starts with Jerry Reinsdorf at the top. There's just Absolutely. a level of stasis here, considering how much success has been had in the Reinsdorf, Kenny Williams, Rakan era compared to how long they've been there. Other teams, other organizations would have changed personnel much quicker after such a sustained run of disappointment. And I think what is so frustrating to White Sox fans is that this year, like 2023, must have been circled on the calendar for win a World Series in 2018 and 2019. When you have this group of prospects matriculating up from the minor leagues, you're expecting greatness once they're all in their primes. And they are far from greatness. They might be mediocre. This team might win 85 games when it's all said and done, but they are certainly not dominant. They are certainly not great. And that is what, when you're rooting for a bad team, you are dreaming about. You're envisioning, oh, when we have peak Moncada and peak Robert and peak Eloy, 
Like, we're going to have this team that's going to win 106 games. We're going to dominate the AL Central. And we're going to be like the Astros or the Yankees. And, like, that's what keeps you warm at night when the team is winning 65 games. And so to see that fail and to see so early on in the season proof that it at least will not succeed is so debilitating and so demoralizing. And I really do feel for White Sox fans. Now, where do we go from here? Um, Probably not the playoffs. So that's the first thing. Uh, I would imagine it goes one of two ways. Either they get hot and they are somewhat in the mix for the bad ale central, which could definitely still happen. Okay, maybe I, again, am being too optimistic. There is a path where this team, like, puts it back together and they finish at 500 and it's still underwhelming, but they they don't sell, right? It causes they're close enough where they don't sell off the deadline. That's one option. The other option is that they they completely punt, right? They totally kick it at the deadline. They trade a bunch of guys away. Tim Anderson, Lucas Giolito, like, they're all out of here. You know, that could totally happen. Yeah, I don't know if and and it is worth saying like the the bad AL Central is a relevant data point here. Like that is if they were in hey at least, you know, it would really be over, right? But no, they there is a version where they could at least uh I, although as 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 Birdo, you know, said it it does in some ways will take a historic turnaround to get back to relevance. Um yeah, mild think, relevance, mild yeah, relevance. Mild relevance, yeah. And and in terms of the trades, I mean Tim Anderson's an interesting one. You know, he's he's still got a club option for next year, but you know, Giolito, right? He's just a straight free agent. Reynaldo Lopez, who they've of course had to put in the closer role with Liam Hendricks out, um, that's one. But like, I don't I don't know how many other pieces necessarily there are that they could definitely move. But no, I think you're probably right. Grandal, I guess, is another one in the last year of his contract. But also, again, they're in a situation in the same way that we talk about with Boston, with the Angels, with whatever, like. There's just so much pressure to still be good, but maybe not. Maybe they're in the situation where it's like, if if Jerry decides, all right, we're actually need to go in the other direction. I finally see that this is not the leadership group we need. Let's turn it around. Let's back it up. Let's try and reset. But that's tough because to me, you have enough talent on this team that it's hard to go backwards. Uh, enough young talent on this team too. Um, particularly on the offensive side. Now, it's possible these guys just aren't as good as we hoped and aren't as good as we thought, and that 2021 was just a total misnomer, a total, you know, just misdirection of, oh, all these guys are going to coalesce into something that we thought was like the Blue Jays, right? Those were the teams we kind of looked at together. It's like, oh, these teams are ascending at the right time. We see what Toronto is now and what Toronto can be. Well, and Toronto just absolutely kicked their ass. Yeah, and poor Charlie Montoyo, who's now on the White Sox coaching staff after being with the Blue Jays as they were ascending is is, is a tough look. But all that said, um, I, I think, yeah, are they this bad? No, but they need to change serious things. I don't know what it's going to take because as we mentioned, Rickon's been there for so long. Kenny Williams has been there for so long. Who else, what other teams have kept around the same front office group for this long? It's the Yankees, obviously. It's Mike Rizzo with the Nationals, and we know the Rock- where they're at now. Right? The who knows how much longer that's going to last? And it's the Rockies who have technically changed front office ship by you know Jeff Bridges, whatever. But it's been the same group, right? And if you if you're in the conversation with the Rockies, Nationals are different. Nationals won; they did it. They won. They won the World Series, right? Yankees they've won some stuff. It's been a while, whatever. But if you want to put them in the bucket with the Rockies, 
Here's what's sad thing. They've made the same number of postseason appearances in the last 10 years. Okay. So that's, and then reach the same, you know, number of, of championship series. So like, that's kind of where we're at here. And if you're in that comparison, listen, this roster, as bad as the farm is, as bad as the player development and drafting has been, I, of course, I'd take this roster over the, over the Rockies, obviously. Right. At the same time, like those are parallels that are hard not to draw when you look at the history and you compare it to the rest of the league. And that is what I think White Sox fans are so frustrated by. All right, Jordan, let's put the flamethrower away and take a quick break and uh, refill our pipes with maybe some joy. And we'll be back to talk about Brian Reynolds' extension, Fernando Tatis Jr., and some of our thoughts from the ball yard. Hey, everybody, I'm James Hinchcliffe. And I'm Alexander Rossi, and we're the hosts of Off Track with Hinch and Rossi. The racing season is in full swing, and we're breaking down all the exciting action on and off the track in the world of IndyCar, NASCAR, Formula One, and more. And by more, we mean that sometimes we just talk about whatever the hell we want, like time travel, Canadian chips, or the many reasons not to go to Death Valley. Either way, join us. Every week, we'll be here having fun. Fun's a relative term, but that's not the point. Download Off Track with Hinch and Rossi on Apple, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back here on a Friday edition of Baseball Barbacast TGIF. And it is a good weekend for one Mr. Brian Reynolds because he can go to TGI Fridays and get as much, as many appetizers as he wants, Jordan. What a treat. Uh, I'm sure that was most of the motivation behind this deal. Uh, Brian Reynolds is going to be on the Pirates. That is the thing that has been, honestly, I'm happy for Brian Reynolds. I'm happy for Pirates fans. I'm happy for all of us that we don't have to hear about this anymore because this has been drug out in in many different ways. And the real beauty of this is that the Pirates are pretty damn good. And so it really makes it all, it that kind of solved this for it because the, the real problem, the reason why this was stretching out was sure, Brian Reynolds did not believe they were offering him what they, what he deserved, right? One of the best center fielders in baseball. He thought they were lowballing him. It was nothing personal against the Pirates, but he was like, listen, if you're not going to pay me what I'm worth, I'm not going to stick around for a team that has been really bad and has not shown signs of being good anytime soon. And so I have to imagine this incredible start where they're in first place and, you know, kicking the shit out of Julio Urias and all these things has coalesced into a situation where he was like, you know what? I am comfortable here. They clearly did up the offer. And now we have an extension of uh, about $100 million, another $100 million in new money on top of what he was already making. And um, that's fantastic for both sides. And it does kind of crystallize what this Pirates outfield and future can start to look like, which is which is nice because this is a, this is a, a piece in place that is nice to not have to worry about anymore because it was one of the few certain things they had on the roster. And now uh, we can pencil that in. We can put that put that in pen, put that in ink, put that in, in Sharpie and know that Brian Reynolds Ooh. is going to be hanging out in the outfield, probably not in center for that much longer, but probably in the outfield, just getting on base and hitting 270 from both sides of the plate. He's a good player. What a boring, great player. Oh, yeah. And you you need that type of thing if you want to be a an outstanding team. He's Kyle Tucker with batting gloves, baby. Maybe <laughs> not quite that good from a power perspective, but like this guy freaking rocks. Yep. Brian Reynolds is an outstanding, outstanding baseball player. And like mm-hmm. you said, his defense in center is, eh, is meh, but in a corner, he'll be just fine. He is certainly not sexy to watch, but he is the type of guy you need if you want to compete. And it's good for the Pirates and their fans that they're spending a little bit of money. This is the first, I believe, 
a hundred million dollar contract that the organization has ever given out, leaving only three teams to never give an eight figure contract. Go ahead. Here's the other thing. Like, it's not just from Reynolds' perspective, but when we think about ownership and we think about owners being really cheap, and Bob Nutting has, of course, been at the top of this list for a long time, deservedly so, right? But I have to imagine, too, that like the, the owners are humans. They are fans of the team most of the time. And I have to imagine the Pirates' hot start and Brian er, and Bob Nutting looking at being like, hey, we might actually have a good team. I'm feeling a little, a little friskier, made feel a little more willing to you know, add another $20 million to this Brian Reynolds extension offer. I'm sure that's part of it. And that's great. Like, that's a fantastic... I mean, it's it's kind of stupid because Brian Reynolds isn't any better of a player <laughs> than he was a month ago. But at the same time, if that's what gets the deal done, like, I'm, I'm happy for him and I'm glad it worked out this way. It doesn't hurt that uh, more fans are probably coming out to the yard and are going to be coming out to the yard all summer to buy beer and tickets mm-hmm. and help, you know, King Nut mm-hmm. get his nut. And now he can pay Brian Reynolds with some of that extra money. Um, good for good for Bob Nutting. Yay, Bob Hooray. Nutting. No, it's, but it's, it's, again, not, not, not who I'm happy for, but I, I have know. to imagine that has something to do with it. Uh, and as we already talked about at the beginning of the week, like Pirates look pretty good, man. Pirates look pretty good. Let's talk about another thing that's pretty good. Fernando <laughs> Tatis Jr. Fernando Tatis Jr. is back. We know that he has been what, like fine. Yeah, he's fine. fine. He's, he's, he, we're, we're starting to see it. We're starting to see it. I, I am not worried about. I know still a lot of consternation about Machado and Soto and whatever. Not concerned. Uh, I know it's you know he had a couple hitless games, but I think he's going to heat up in a hurry. But what he really caught a lot of people's attention for this past week in Wrigley Field, of course, we've been awaiting his home debut, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. But in the outfield, which is a key detail here, right? Because it's harder to get chirped when you're playing shortstop. But when you're out there with the drunkest fans in the park, it's a good. there's a good chance that they are going to chant at you. And we should have seen this coming more as we knew that he was going to be playing in the outfield. But this was our first case of Fernando getting chirped and Jake, how did he react? He reacted by dancing. Cubs fans at Wrigley Field chanting, he's on steroids. And That's how people t- in Chicago talk. Hey, I'm over here in Wrigley Field in the outfield watching a ball game. Hey, swinging a bat, cracking a bat. Here we go. Give me some peanuts. Uh, Fernando just like dances along to the tune of the chant, blows a kiss to the crowd, turns around and resumes playing defense. And like this is good. Good for everybody. Okay, good for the Cubs fans. You want to get drunk and chant at a guy who cheated? Great. I have other things to do with my time, but I understand it. Cubs fans, while boozing, would chant at Jose Azokar, right? Like, it, it it doesn't really matter. There's just easier material for Fernando Tatis, who's so famous and so obviously cheated. And good for Tatis for taking this in stride. He right. can't get mad. He can't get mad. He can't. If he, and he... He said that. He said, yeah. like, listen, people are going to say what they want to say. All I can do is, you know, play my game and enjoy life. It's like, yeah, you're right. <laughs> that is all you can do <laughs> because this is part of your history. This is part of what you're going to have to deal with. And, you know, to me, he could pretend like he's not hearing all these things all the time. And I'm I'm curious how long that'll go because is this going to diffuse people? Is this going to, you know, push people yes. away from doing it? Or will it make them want to do it more? I don't know. I guess we'll find out at his next road uh, location. I don't know if it'll diffuse people, but I think it'll make him more likable. 
I think when players like Ryan Braun, right, or A-Rod, they get caught for cheating and all they do is they just ignore it and they pretend like it never happened. People don't like that. It just mm-hmm. – it, it's a form of denial. It's uncomfortable. It's just obvious. It's the elephant in the room. Mm-hmm. Tatis kind of approaching this head on and with humor and with levity – I think is going to endear himself back into the hearts and minds of baseball fans quicker than the alternative. Sure. I think that's probably true. Um, Now, on that note about where Tatis is playing, we talked last week about looking at the schedule and being like, why are they playing not on Friday? They're playing on Saturday. What was going on? I think we were just looking at the the baseball reference schedule or whatever. What we didn't realize is that this weekend, they are playing a two-game series in Mexico City against the Giants which are technically home games, but are not really home games. So his real home debut, thank you to everyone who emailed us to to correct us on that. I do appreciate that because we did not notice it last time. But next week, he will be making his actual Petco Park season debut against Cincinnati. So that will be a a much more interesting uh, reception. And I'm sure they're going to go crazy and love him. Now, again, at the same time, like the Padres are just not playing very well right now. So like they have bigger things to worry about, but I'm sure they will be very excited to have him back in the lineup. If he wants to get back on the juice, though, Jordan, Mexico City, a good place to pick it up, considering the Mexican League is just a steroid, you know, lawless world. I thought you were just going to be like, oh, uh, you know, it's really good to hit down there, which is also true. That is a good no. place to get your offense going as far as, you know, to, but it, for two days, like, can we get a little too? That's it's so that it runs out before you go get tested back in America. It seems that's what like I'm saying. The best. If, if I wanted to go get some steroids, I would go to the Mexican league. Mm. That's where I would go because mm, good place to go. Uh, please don't do that, Fernando. We need you to yeah, not don't do that. get suspended ever again for a lot of reasons. Okay. I can do as many steroids as I want. I'm just a podcaster. Can. I don't know how much that's really going to help you hit under any circumstances, but uh, only one way to find out. Just kidding. Let's move on to one more segment before we uh, take another break, which is what we'll try to do uh, at the end of each week, which is what we saw at the yard. Jake, we both attended some baseball games this week. As well, let me reminder, say this. Oh, yeah. Let me say this. This is why you people listen to this podcast. I want to be very clear about this. I'm going to toot our own horn for a second. Oh, okay. I was like, are, okay. I was like, oh, yeah, tell them why they listen. Go ahead. Well, I mean, many reasons. My charisma, <laughs> Jordan's intelligence, Chris is producing. The song Let us the know beginning. why you listen. I, I would like to know from them, but go ahead. Go ahead. There are very few people in the world of baseball who I believe combined our access and our perspective, Right. There are people who are funnier than us who do podcasts about baseball, and there are people who are smarter than us who do podcasts about baseball, people who are more plugged in than us who do podcasts about baseball. But I think what we bring is a combination of those three things, right? We have a BBWAA card that allows us to go to games all the time, and we make jokes. That's a very small group of people, okay? And so that is why we wanted to start bringing you our thoughts from the yard. Yeah, and we've you know we've sort of already sprinkled these in throughout these seasons, as you know we we have been attending uh, many many a games for our our job for Fox Sports, where we are writing about baseball, not just talking about it. As if you haven't picked up by now, uh, the Cincinnati Reds are the closest major league ballpark to me, so that's where I've been attending, which means I was there earlier this week to see the Texas Rangers, Jake, and the Texas Rangers who came into the series like, oh man, remember it was like, oh. Rangers are in first place, and now they get to play the Reds. Oh, they can really you know, extend their lead. They just took a series from Oakland, and now they get to go to Cincinnati and play the lowly Reds. 
Well, instead, they got swept and in fairly embarrassing fashion in all three games. Uh, and now the Rangers are going to play the Yankees, where that's also not going super well for them. So the Rangers, a bit of a reality check. But my takeaway from from seeing the Rangers, I would say, is first of all, it's like, damn, like this team who we've not really thought about, uh, you know, oh, there's Corey Seager and there's Marcus Simeon and DeGrom's hanging out with like in the in the in the clubhouse he's you know playing cards with like josh smith and you know some of these younger relievers like dane dunning and brock burke it's a very strange mishmash particularly the pitching staff of very very veteran guys like eovaldi and john gray and Degrom, and then these rookie relievers or young relievers that nobody's ever heard of whether it's leclerc well i know leclerc, leclerc he's he's a bit of a mess right now but you know jonathan hernandez who's been really good, Brock Burke, um, guys like that. It's a very, very strange roster, and it's true on paper, and even when you see it in person and everyone interacting is is very interesting. Um, so. What was the Bruce Bochy experience like for you? Mm-hmm. So I would say the biggest takeaway from Bochy, uh, besides being like, yeah, there's Bruce Bochy. Bochy. He's the Rangers manager now. He talked for a long time. So, you know, sometimes you, you, you'll, you've probably seen this, right? Like, Managers will do their dugout, usually their their pregame in the dugout. Sometimes they'll do it in the office or in the interview room, but a lot of the times they like to do it outside in the dugout. And you get to get a sense for how much managers really want to like hang out and talk ball. Because sometimes they'll sit there and they'll answer the questions with the cameras and the mics on, and then they're out. They're gonna run out and you know hit their fungos or throw BP or talk to their players, whatever. Other times, and in Bruce Bochy's case, I know he's not necessarily the guy that's going to go out there and start running the practice because he's, whatever, nearly 70 years old. But you do get the sense that Bruce Bochy's like, yeah, like, I'm here. I'm a manager again. I'm going to hang out. And even when we're done recording, like, I'm going to talk ball. And I appreciated that from Bruce Bochy. That's definitely an important distinction. Brandon Hyde is a big talk ball guy. So, like, for the Orioles reporters, when they interview Brandon Hyde before every game, they do the on camera and then they like shut everything off and then they chat for like three. It's like standard. That's just what they do. Ali Marmol, when I saw him with the Cardinals, was like the opposite. Man was in and then he was hitting fungos like ASAP. He was out there. But it's good right. to hear that Bochi's enjoying himself. Yeah, yeah. And not an enjoyable week for, for Bochi. This was really not a not some of the questionable moves here and there. Again, they're not. Bochy's going to be fine, but it was also even in the midst of that because I was there the day after their first really embarrassing loss. He's still like he's fine. He's he's done this rodeo a few times. Love that, love that. All right, I will now talk about the yard that I went to, Jordan. Mm-hmm. I went home. I went home to the ball yard that made me fall in love with the Philadelphia Phillies last October. I returned for the first time to Citizens Bank Park in the city of brotherly love for the Mariners visit to Philly against the Philadelphia Phillies. I was at the game on Tuesday and pregame on Wednesday. And then I took the train back up here to New York and it was nice to be around your ball club, to be around the Mariners, Jordan. It's a good group of guys right there, huh? Yeah. Uh, weird series for them. Uh, just really showing off how talented and yet extremely flawed the roster is. That's really uh, where we're at. I know Kelnick kind of stole the show again. Julio had a homer, but also looks lost. But yeah, what's what's the vibe? I know I'm sure you spent most time with with your beloved Phillies, which is fine. Yeah, but nice, um, nice to nice to get an un, you know in person report on the team that I that I root for. Yeah, so I walk into the Mariners clubhouse the first day, and Eugenio Suarez is like sitting right by the door, and he just goes, "Hey, man." Why are you walking so funny? 
And I was like, what? He's like, you're walking like you got a dump in your pants. You okay? I was like, yeah, I guess my back hurts. I'm Jake. Like he is one of the most unique and singular baseball players I've ever met. He is very friendly. Most ball players don't want to talk to strangers. Like they're not interested in engaging in conversation with people they don't know, understandably. He is the opposite. He is as odd and friendly and unique of a person. He is the key to that clubhouse. Clubhouses, it's very important to have someone who brings the Latin American players together with the English-speaking players usually uh, because those two groups can get very separate in a clubhouse because of the cultural and the linguistic differences between the two. Having kind of an older veteran Latin American player is super important. And Suarez is like the epitome of that. He is just beloved in that room. That was one of my takeaways with the marriage. Yeah, anything that like, if you think sometimes the personality for these players or, oh, good vibes only, sure. Like it could not be more accurate for the way that he is a teammate, is a player, is a personality, both on the field, off the field, with the camera on, with the camera off. He is that 100%. That's been my experience around him as well. And then I got an opportunity to talk to Jared Kelnick for a while. I was very impressed with him. I think there's kind of the vibe around him. Like he he had such an interesting and unique childhood and development as an amateur where he wasn't playing high school baseball and maybe he wasn't interacting with people in the same way. He didn't get to go to college. There was like a level of stunted development socially where he was not always, you know, in the mix with he wasn't pals with his teammates. That seems to have gotten a little bit better this year around the Mariners, who seems to be more a part of the team. And now part of that is because he's raking and, you know, it's easier to be a part of the team when you're raking. But it seems like a couple of the veteran players on the Mariners have been more cognizant about making sure that he feels comfortable and included this year, which sounds silly, but is definitely important. J.P. Crawford is someone who seemed to, you know, make that a priority. So that's kind of my takeaway from the Mariners, from the Phillies. Like, I know they started slow, not really worried about them. Same, they're the same kind of team. I am worried about the pitching staff more than I'm worried about the offense. Bryson Stott is legit, man. That guy is really, really real. Funny takeaways from Brandon Marsh. I'll have an article coming up next week about how the Phillies' lives have changed since their crazy run last October. Brandon Marsh, who has been amazing this year, seems to be unsure about how real his goodness is and is like, a, like he's such a weird, unique, wonderful oddball that he's like a little bit more reined in right now because he's like, am I famous and really good? Is this a hot stretch? Like how, who am I? Like, am I on, am I on guard? Am I on edge? Am I just the same guy? It's a very interesting moment for him. Cause I think for him and you know, I wrote, I wrote about Marsh a couple weeks ago at Fox and you can read that, but like, <laughs> I feel like he would be at his most comfortable if he had an 820 OPS batting seventh instead of like one of the best, you know, WRC pluses in the entire league and like, holy shit, like here's Brandon Marsh, one of the best hitters in baseball. Like now you have to carry us because some of our veterans like Trey Turner and Kyle Schwerber have not exactly been tearing it up to start the season. So we're relying on him a lot more. Of course, Stott and Bohm have been a big part of that as well. But I feel like that's what's almost strange for him to kind of adjust to is the fact it's like, no, I, under no circumstance was I planning to be the man. Of course, everyone wants to have the best numbers possible. But that's what seems to be he's adjusting yeah. to. Is he going to have an 1,000 OPS all year? Of course not. But he's clearly made a lot of changes. And I'm I'm, I'm a believer that he is a, a good hitter now. Also, I think he will adjust to learn how to be the man. Sure. 
if, he if is, this does sustain, then yes, you'll yeah. figure out how to survive as a person within a thousand OPS. I'm sure you will. He'll be just fine. Uh, and my last to- takeaway is like Nick Cassianos is fucking back. Like he looks awesome, dude. That guy rules. Nick Castellanos is one of the most interesting quotes in baseball. Talked to him for a while about his swing happy approach and his new mindset this year and about uh, his defense in the outfield, which has looked a lot better. It was super interesting. He essentially said, you remember last year during the playoffs where he was like, yeah, um, you know, I'm more locked into the playoffs because I'm not as bored as I am during the regular season. Well, he said to me like, yeah, that taught me how locked in I can be. And now I feel more locked in in the outfield all the time. What an interesting, unique cat. And he's been raking. Yeah, no, he's, he's again, last year was, I know he, he won a lot of people back in, in the postseason, but he is, he's really picked it up and he was striking out a ton to start the season. He's kind of cooled off in that respect, but yeah, it's been him. It's been Marsh and, and Stott has just been so consistent while we're still waiting for, for, you know, Trey Turner to really get going. Cause he just has been very average so far, Yeah, uh, which they've, again, he's not the number one problem, but they're, this team is in, you know, they're, they're at 500, which is good. Nice series win against the Mariners for sure. But they, they still have a lot of work to do if they're going to get anywhere near uh, the Mets and the Braves. But I got to say, Philadelphia, great town. Oh, what a great town. Uh, I had I mean, some that's great meals. That's, you, 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 I think you made that pretty clear on every single episode. I just want to emphasize that my opinions haven't changed. Took the train down, had some good breakfast, had some good meals, got drunk by myself at the bar like a real that's baseball silly. writer. Woo! Love it. Uh, on that note, we're going to take a quick break and we will return with the good, the bad, the ugly, some promotions and demotions and look at the weekend ahead. And we're back here on the end of Baseball Barbacast. It is that time of the week. The good, the bad, and the ugly. One thing good from the week, one thing bad from the week, and one thing ugly. Named after Dan Ugla, one of the most unique players in the world of baseball. Jordan, start us off. What's good? My good this week, we go to the worst team in the league and talk about their best hitter. Brent Rooker, Jake, I would like to celebrate here. Brent Rooker, among players with at least 70 plate appearances this season, has the third highest WRC plus in baseball behind only Matt Chapman and Harold Ramirez. He probably deserves a good, but we're going to focus on Brent Rooker because as much time as we will spend this year talking about how horrifically bad this A's team is, it is 90%, eh, 70% about the pitching. <laughs> and on offense, they are they do have some players that are worth tuning in for. Esther Ruiz is exciting. Shea Langoliers is looking really good. But Brent Rooker, who is currently hitting 305, 417, 695, like he's back in the SEC in 2017, taking Shohei Otani deep. He's already got seven home runs. I love this for two main reasons. First of all, because Brent Rooker is an awesome guy. Very funny dude. And I'm sure if anyone is maintaining a level of sanity through his own uh, through his own perspective of the world on the worst team in baseball, it is probably Brent Rooker. I don't want to speak for him. I'm, not, I'm sure he's not having a good time losing all these games, but I'm sure he has you know, found a way to come at peace. And he has this opportunity now to be in the lineup every day 
and absolutely rake. Now, who who is Brent Rooker? Because some people maybe do not know Brent Rooker's story, but he is a very interesting, he's just a really interesting path to getting to this point because you say, okay, well, he's a first rounder. Well, what's so interesting about that? Well, he was not highly recruited at all coming out of high school in Tennessee. He goes to Mississippi State. He's a redshirt. He just takes a regular redshirt, says, I'm not ready to play college baseball. But once he does start playing at Mississippi State in 15, not great as a freshman. 16, he really picks it up. He's draft eligible because he's 21. The Twins take him in the 38th round. They're like, we're interested. He's like, no, I can be even better. Goes back for his redshirt junior year and in 2017 basically is by far the best hitter in, in the SEC. Hits 23 home runs, slugs over 800. He's incredible. The Twins take him again, this time in the first round. But what I'm interested in is the fact that, yes, he did get up to the big leagues eventually with Minnesota. But since then, he's bounced around for a couple teams. He was briefly with the Royals and then with the Padres, both of whom could really use Brent Rooker right now. I know that the Royals, you know, it's not going to change their season. But the Padres offense, like talk about someone that they could throw at the bottom of the lineup and, and have some real offensive impact there. That would be fucking awesome. Uh, and instead, he's tearing it up in Oakland. Very happy for him. Curious to see if, if he's someone that they stick around, if they if they treat him like it's it's almost a version of the Joey Manessis question with Nationals where it's like, okay, they're the worst team in baseball. If you can flip Brent Rooker for something, if he really is this legit, do you do it? I think probably yes, but I'm curious what that looks like. But I'm just happy for him because he's an awesome guy and a very fun hitter to watch. I'm going to take a slightly less heralded player for my good. Drew Maggi, mm. he did it. Grandpa Drew made his big league debut earlier this week after 13 years in the minor leagues. He got an at-bat as a pinch hitter and then got a start on Thursday afternoon. Shouts out to him. We talked about it a little bit, grinding through all that minor league time to make his big league debut. I have a couple takeaways. Number one, this guy looks like he's 50. He is a 33-year-old, but he... You can see the old years soul, of minor face. league baseball, right? <laughs> right? His face is like just worn, beaten down. The bus rides, right? The waiver wire, the just the the early mornings, the late nights. So much time in Altoona, Pennsylvania. This man has lived a thousand lives, and you can see it on his face when they pan him in the dugout. I'm like, that's a coach. Um, it just looks like a worn face. I love how in his final at-bat, I believe, against the Dodgers, he flew out to deep center field. When he made contact, the yard thought it was out and started going crazy. It was both a lovely moment and a reminder why Drew Maggi did not get called up. I mean, it was a fastball center cut, and he drove it to the the base of the warning track, and it looked way gone off the bat. Um, I'm not trying to dunk on the man, but that did come to my mind. So shouts out to Drew Maggi. Hopefully he stays up for as long as possible and becomes a coach as soon as he's done. Yep, I agree. Because uh, now, right, now it's like, you did it, dude. Like, are you going to keep grinding? In the well, minors? he needs a hit. He needs a hit. He needs a hit. Yeah, well, we'll see. I don't know if he's going to stay up if he's already been sent down. We'll see. But either way, it was an incredible moment. And obviously, congratulations to him. Let's move to our bad. Jake... Why is Marcelo Zuna still in the Braves? You cover the Braves. You're around the Braves all the time. You're going to see them this weekend, right? And this dude, yeah. who again, I just talked about Brent Rooker, how you know among you know at least 70 plate appearances, he's one of the three best hitters in baseball. Well, if you lower that to 60 plate appearances, 
you have Marcelo Zuna's 67 plate appearances, which have amounted to an 085, 194, 203 slash line. Cool for a 12 WRC plus. And he ain't exactly bringing you a whole lot of defensive value, not to mention having a questionable at best reputation off the field. Why is he still on the team? This is a shame to watch because the Braves, who just choked away a game against the Marlins and and uh, lost the opportunity to mop their division rivals there, have had, like Sam Hilliard's killing it, right? Let's keep Sam Hilliard in the lineup. Acuna is all the way back. Olsen's been awesome, and Riley is, and Albies is heating up. Like Ozzy now looks way better than he did a week ago, and Murphy is fantastic, and they just have this catastrophe that they're still rolling out there for some reason multiple times a week i think we're nearing the end here i think we're almost i think he's not going to be on the team much longer but obviously we know why the dude's making what 18 million this year 18 million next year that's how this shit works unfortunately but it just sucks to watch he's a miserable uh player to watch play at this point team option for 2025 though oh that's true yeah we'll, we'll be scooping that one right up uh, yeah, I, I don't know, man. I just, he looks so lost and like, it's, it's just frustrating because it's like, not that this team needs to be any better. Not that this lineup needs to be any deeper. And I'm, I guess when Michael Harris comes back, he's on a rehab assignment right now. That's probably when it makes it easier to shove him down. We DH Hilliard more. We do it, you know, some of this. I don't know, man. It's just, it's just really unpleasant to watch. And it's not exactly a player who deserves second, third, fourth, fifth chances either with the things that he's done off the field. Nope. Let me talk about my ugla, which is very different. The You're Minnesota... Bad. My bad. Thank you. Yes. Okay. Let we'll me do, talk we'll, about my we'll, bad. We'll, we'll get to ugly after. Yep. My bad. My bad, dude. My bad. The Minnesota Twins have two steals as a team. Yep. Two steals yep. as a team. They are on pace for, I believe, 12.46 steals. At their current rate over the course of a full season. That would give them the fewest steals in the wild card era by a team over a full season. Throwing out 2020, obviously, that doesn't count. The 2016 Baltimore Orioles have that say, record it was right now. was the Orioles team, right? I remember that. The Orioles team that lost in the wild card game on the walk-off that year. The Zach Britton team. 19 steals as a unit back then. That is fewer than a lot of that's the same amount of steals the Orioles had in 2020 during the, the fake season. Okay, just to give you a sense. The Twins are on pace for 12 as a team, on pace for 12. And that is in this era where, you know, with the new rules, people are stealing left and right. And they have two steals as a team. Let's, let's break this down a little bit more. Their two steals belong to Michael A. Taylor. They have three other, he's two for two. Three other attempted steals, which have been a failure. Max Kepler, Willie Castro, and Matt Walner, who's no longer on the active roster. My question is, who who is our hope here to even ratchet this up? I guess it's only Michael A. Taylor because we know Byron Buxton's not running anymore. And the rest of this team is kind of, you know, plotting. And like, what's interesting to me about this is the fact that the offense has also been horrible. Besides Joey Gallo, it's not just a matter of they're not running the bases. They're not reaching the bases. And they're not scoring any runs. I know they're in first place because their pitching has been amazing. But, like, th- this offense is just so nothing right now besides Joey Gallo. 
I would have, but the way that you get to a certain number of steals is that your slow guys and your mediocrely fast guys are running too. And we're seeing that across baseball now. It's not just the fast guys running a lot more. Yeah. It's guys like Carlos Santana having one steal. You know, that adds up over the course of a full season over a full roster. Okay. And they have none of that. Like Joey Gallo should have a steal and Nick right. Gordon should have three and Correa should have one. And, you know, even Max Kepler should have three. Like, that's just not been the case. And I don't see this changing anytime soon. And I think they could make a real run at the Orioles record in this era, which would be absolutely astounding. No, I agree. This is definitely something worth tracking. I mean, Nick Gordon has only been on first base three times. So he hasn't had a lot of opportunities. <laughs> but sorry, G Cinco, we love you, but that's just not gonna cut it. Uh, but I just feel like I, I I agree with you. Like I'm looking at this roster, I'm like, I don't think this is gonna get much better. But more importantly, they need to start scoring runs. However you want to do it, if you want to just hit it over the fence, that's fine. But if you're gonna hang on to your first place lead, we're gonna need a better team OPS than 709. Uh, all right, let's move to Ugla. My ugly this week is something I wrote about uh, at Fox, but I wanted to bring it up with you because it just makes me laugh. And that is Jordan Alvarez's ongoing health injury, uh, issues. Okay, like what, what the hell? That's, why are you laughing about this? That's fucked up, Jordan. That's, that's a fair thing. And the latest is that Jordan Alvarez dealing with some neck discomfort, which kept him out of the series in Tampa Bay. He went back to Houston. This was fresh off of delivering three ridiculous hits that we talked about on Monday with a go ahead home with two go ahead homers and a game tying single and you know he's hitting the ball a million miles an hour and 450 feet like he's fine they say on Monday he had neck discomfort we sent him back to Houston he's been dealing with this for a week has he <laughs> because like I'm sure he has but I'm just wondering what does a fully healthy Jordan look like because we're also now going back on a year of hand problems last year he went on the il with a right hand issue which was apparently uh hampering him for much of last season into the postseason he shows up to spring training this year and he's like my left hand is now in a lot of pain i can't play in spring training games until the very 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 end i'll play in two and then everyone's like uh oh uh oh is he gonna be ready is he gonna be ready we'll slow play the season bam homer's in his first game back he's got a 900 ops obviously he's way up there in every possible hitting statistic and i'm just like what is this just kind of how it's going to work? I love it because it's not like a situation where he's going on the IL. He's only been on the IL once since he had surgery on both knees when he was 23. I just don't understand what to make of this. Like, it's so funny to me and I love, it makes me appreciate him even more. What if Zion Williamson played is the question that we are asking <laughs> like, here. That's the thing. We have so much discussion of load management in, in, in other, not just in, in, certainly in basketball, but even in baseball, you've seen it more with guys like Byron Buxton, right? Who've spent so much time and when they play, they're awesome. But Jordan seems to be the all-time example of this, but because he hasn't actually missed that much time, right. we don't really notice it. But every time I get a new story about something that he's dealing with, I'm like, okay, sure. <laughs> but I mean- He seems to be okay. When you're built like that, yeah, things happen to you. You have more sure. body to go wrong. And yeah. so in some ways- <laughs> if he was fully healthy for the next five years, he would hit like 450 and break the sport. <laughs> so like I I hope I kind of I don't want to hope pain onto someone, but like no. I hope there's always something a little lingering so he doesn't ruin baseball by hitting eight thousand home runs. <laughs> I think that's my point. Is I'm just like this dude's just kind of gritting it out and being the best hitter in the league. That's just a funny concept to me. So that's why it's ugly. 
Anyway, what's your ugla? Just playing through it. Uh, My ugla is Dodgers be fucking, Jordan. Uh, Mm. The Los Angeles Dodgers have had four players go on paternity leave in the last week. And Cody Bellinger, who was on the Dodgers last year. Nine months ago, I'm not going to explain the birds and the bees to you folks. If you want to learn more about that, you can just Google birds and bees. Mm -hmm. You should be able to find that. Uh, I think Baseball Reference has a good overview of that. Anyway, nine months ago was the Dodgers All-Star break, which essentially tells us that during the All-Star break, a bunch of Dodgers were making babies. And this is no shock. This happens all the time. Like players are coordinating when to have kids with when they are able to spend significant time with their partners. Like you see a lot of kids, right? You would imagine conceived during December. So you get a lot of a lot of these in August, mm-hmm. right? In that time of the year as well, in the off season. In off season conception. And like good for these guys. It's you know, sex to is me, sex is great. I, to me, I'm giving them even more credit because I'm like thinking about this for the Dodgers, where they're very specifically thinking like next April, like it doesn't really matter. Like we're chilling. Like we're the Dodgers. It's not going to make a difference if we go and miss a couple of days. Like that's fine. Don't have to worry about it later in the season. Uh, and I love that. I love that attitude. I think that's <laughs> funny. That's great. But the funny way to think about it is the Dodgers are just like so on top of their shit that they're like coordinating this on purpose. All right. So Evan, Mookie, Bruce Star, Max, go home, conceive. Okay. They're like, hey, you guys. Don't do it until a couple because we can't have you all out in April, right. right? We can we can afford to you know James Alman will be up, he'll be great. So James, like right. you know, I don't know what Altman, his relationship status is. Please relax. Will Smith, mm-hmm. um, uh, Dustin May, keep it in your pants, okay? And for another couple months, you and guys then you can, can have be a out kid in June if you would like. But again, we can that that is great. Again, you talk about what is the difference in organizational success. For yeah. teams like the Dodgers. It just extends to every possible level. All right, let's end what this. A, what an organization. <laughs> let's, let's, uh, let's end this conversation here before it gets weirder than it already is. Uh, Jake, let us look uh, a couple, couple other uh, news and notes before we end this here podcast. Because a couple of these were really interesting. Promotions and demotions. We had some call-ups. We had some demotions. Jordan Walker was sent down by the Cardinals. Fantastic story from Katie Wu, kind of breaking this all down at the Athletic. She does a great job covering that team. Cardinals, not now. If the White Sox had their shit together, we'd probably be focusing a little bit about more on the Cardinals' cold start. Maybe we punt that to next week, kind of see where they're at after this weekend. But they send Jordan Walker down, and if you're thinking, why would they send Jordan Walker down? Didn't Jordan Walker have like a hit in his first 12 games and was was looking pretty good? The answer is yeah, like he actually was looking pretty good. But they had five outfielders on their active roster that they wanted to play. And even with the DH, that was not going to be possible because of the rules of baseball. And so what you had now is a situation where Jordan Walker, because of some deficiencies in the outfield, his ground ball rate was really up there. They didn't feel as comfortable putting him in there every day. And because of that, they were like, well, this is dumb. Like, if we have Jordan Walker, he needs to be playing every day, whether it's here, whether it's in AAA. And so they decided it would be better off in AAA. They decided to mix it up. They decided to roll with the other four for now, which is Tyler O'Neill, Dylan Carlson, Lars Nukbar, and Alec Burleson. They send Walker down. Cardinals have had a lot of issues, most of them on the mound so far this year. But this is just a unique problem for a team to have. And for a player that wasn't really struggling that much, it is interesting to kind of see them make this decision. What was your takeaway? 
Well, my takeaway is, okay, I get it. I get it for right now. You want Walker to have at-bats. But the ideal scenario for you now is what? You believe in all four of these outfielders, and I do believe in all of them to varying extents. If they all hit, then then what? Yep. Then like Walker just spends the year in AAA? Are you just waiting for someone to get hurt? Are you trying to capitalize on like Burleson or O'Neill's trade value and you flip them for a pitcher? Like it just is a little unclear what the ideal scenario is here for the Cardinals by sending Walker down, even though the move itself makes sense. Yeah, and, and a big part of this too, which they acknowledge, is the fact that Nolan Gorman's been amazing. And yeah. that has kind of filled the DH spot, which has made it even harder to rotate those five guys through. So that's the situation. Again, in some ways, it's like, well, wow, it's a lot of good players to have. Like, that. how much of an issue is this? But no, playing time is a real issue. And not just playing time, but the fact that players don't even know if they're going to be playing at, yeah. on a, any given day. I'm going to run through a couple more of these, and then we'll take a turn to the week ahead. Logan Allen and Tanner Bybee, two pitching prospects up with Cleveland. That's important. Those guys have a chance to be really dominant and contribute quite a bit for them. Go ahead, Jordan. Well, yeah, and Gavin Williams got called up to AAA. Like, that was one of our biggest questions coming into the year is when will this wave of pitching prospects come up and take the jobs of Plesak and, you know, Savali and some of these guys at the bottom? And, like, it might be happening sooner than we thought because their pitching has not been that amazing so far, but these guys can certainly help. Joey Ortiz called up to the Orioles, an infielder, shortstop primarily, but he's going to see most of his time, I believe, at second base. Uh, he can really hit, like really, really hit. Fascinating backstory. Drafted out of New Mexico State as a defensive-minded shortstop and just learned how to hit because the Orioles' hitting development is amazing. Three RBIs in his debut yesterday. He's kind of the first guy in this next wave of Orioles hitting prospects to see the big leagues. Expect him to contribute. And the last one here, Robbie Ray, Mariners pitcher, 2021 Cy Young. Got the bag from Seattle. He's out for the year with a flexor tendon issue. Um, that's a bummer for the Mariners. They have some rotation question marks. I know Chris Flexen has certainly not been him so far this year. And losing Ray, even though he underwhelmed a bit down or in parts of last year and ended the year on a bad note, is still a big loss for the team. Yeah, huge loss. And yeah, Flexen is either going to have to pick it up or, as we just mentioned with Cleveland, like how soon is Seattle going to dip into their you know starting rotation depth whether it is, you know, jumping down to a Bryce Miller, to an Emerson Hancock, uh, some of the other guys they have in the upper minors. Probably not quite yet. I think they'll roll with Flexen for a little bit longer, but that is going to be, that is a big loss. And that is is very unfortunate. As good as Gilbert and Kirby and, of course, Castillo are going to be, and Marco, who's, who's been solid, like that fifth spot is, is going to be an issue for most of the season if Flexen can't figure it out. It's Friday, Friday. We got to get down on Friday. And that means the freaking weekend is here. Jordan Schusterman, let's each say three series that we are looking forward to for this weekend before we say adios. What do you got? Let's begin with those marineros. Luis Castillo in Toronto on this Friday night. Shabbat Shalom, my friend. Bringing me back to the postseason last year when he went in there and said, uh, that will be game one. Uh, that's going to be mine. Thank you very much. There is no better. I know the Mariners have had a tough start to the season. I There's no better feeling than seeing Luis Castillo takes the mound tomorrow. Mm. 
Oh, just like it's like everything is cured. They look like shit. Who cares? Luis Castillo takes them out tomorrow. Uh, and then Mariners Blue Jays is just it'll just be a fun series because like Blue Jays are playing pretty well and Mariners are not. And so they, they the opportunity for both teams here to come out of the weekend feeling really good. I think the Mariners are going to win the Castillo game and then the Blue Jays are going to be furious and just whoop them in the other two. Manoa with a chance to redeem himself after his mess start in that playoff game last mm-hmm. year. Give me two other series. Uh, I'm going to go with Angels Brewers. This is one just because two teams, you know, looking pretty good in the standings. Angels just had a series against Oakland where they won three of four, but still is Oakland. And I'd like to see the Angels really show out against an actual quality team. Also, just some very nice, weird interleague action. Of course, it's not as weird anymore. This is just our new reality. But I like this matchup. Uh, and I, I think this will be a, a nice test for the Angels because I'm, I'm not I'm still not sold that they are really actually that good. And then my last one. Huge postseason implication. Reds and A's. Whoa. This this one I'm interested in. First of all, interesting road trip for the Reds as they will go to Oakland and then have the Tatis uh, home debut as well. Oakland, of course, you know, the first home game since the news they're moving to Las Vegas. So that in and of itself is fascinating. And uh, yeah, look at the Cincinnati Reds coming off a sweep of the Rangers. Maybe they're just going to tear through the AL West here and, and see what happens. But of course, mostly I am focused on what that, what that reception is like in Oakland. And honestly respectfully slash disrespectfully, although it's not about, I blame the A's fans reds in Oakland is a, is a possibility for some special attendance numbers. I know it's a weekend, so I don't think it'll be that low, but I'm, I'm curious about that. I wonder if like people really show up tonight and then the next two days it's like, fuck you. There's 500 people here and I would not blame them at all. My three series Mets Braves. I'll be in attendance for a good chunk of that. Who's better. We don't know right now, and we won't know till the end of the year. I feel pretty good that the Braves are better than the Mets. I know there are people who think the Mets are better than the Braves, but just an early season glimpse at how these two teams stack up against one another. The NL East went down to the final game of the year last year, so it'll be cool to watch them face off. Phillies Astros, speaking of going down to the final game of the year, World Series rematch. This one will be in Houston. I will not be going, thankfully. Um, cause I don't, I'm kind of done going to Houston to be honest with you, Jordan. Uh, but it'll be cool to see these two teams face off again. I think that's the Sunday night baseball game. Understandably, if the Phillies can, the Phillies win game seven, game eight and game nine. This is their opportunity to get back in the series. We'll, we'll see exactly. if they can do it. And then white Sox Rays. If the Rays mop the white Sox in Chicago, oh man, things could get messy on the South side. <laughs> Well, this is the other thing. They just hired a new manager, right? So you can't, you're not going to, you're not going to fire Grafol, you know, two months into that they're in last place. Uh, but yeah, that is definitely that would be, one to watch. Uh, that would be very you, English Premier League to fire a guy two months <laughs> that's in. That's true. I'm glad you mentioned that. Uh, the Rays, White Sox, Orioles, Tigers, Yankees, Rangers, Royals, Twins. Those are our opportunities this weekend. Of course, Orioles, uh, Rays, Yankees, and Twins taking the first games of those series on Thursday. So keep an eye on those opportunities. All right, that's it. That's Friday. That's a podcast. I'm Jake Mintz. That's Jordan Schusterman. Thank you all for listening. Thank you to Chris Tyler for producing. Pretty cool. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Always nice. Yes, indeed. Thank you to Chris Tyler for producing. You can email us at baseballbarbacast at gmail.com. That's B-A-R-B-Cast. A lot of good emails recently. We will hopefully do a larger collection of those uh, maybe next week. We'll get to those. But enjoy the weekend. Enjoy the ball. And White Sox, 
God help you. May you win a baseball game this weekend against the Rays of Tampa. May that historic turnaround make you mildly relevant. That's what I that's what God said to his children. Serious XM Podcasts. Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.